welcome to the Calm Birth Conversation podcast. This is Karen McClay and I will be having lots of wonderful conversations with experts and parents around pregnancy, birth and parenting with the aim to help you to make informed choices and decisions around your own journey into parenthood. This podcast is brought to you by Calm Birth, Australia's leading childbirth education program. This episode is about birth mapping, an incredible tool to help women and couples navigate their journey of birth, opening lines of communication with their caregivers, and most importantly, making informed decisions for the best birth for them and their babies. Hi, I am so excited to welcome Catherine Bell to have a chat with me today. Now, Catherine is a birth cartographer, is what she's calling herself, and she has written this incredible book, and as you can see, I've got lots of notes down the side here, called The the Birth Map, which is all about helping you to prepare for birth in a really informed way. So so welcome, Catherine. I'm, I, as I said, I'm so excited. This book is really resonating with me. I think it's a, a wonderful, wonderful concept. Concept. And I'd really like to explore this concept even further with you today. But first of all, tell us about yourself and what got you to the point of, of becoming a birth cartographer. Like what, what brought you to that point? It was, it was a motherhood journey. So the, the book evolved over several years of documenting all the things I wish I'd known to ask Oh, that's a good one. I should make sure I tell other women about that one. That's a good question to ask. And then I accidentally wrote this book. And in and leading up to that book, I tested out different birth plans um, with each of my own births because I'm a scientist. And as a good scientist, you always experiment on yourself first before you test anyone else. So I I tested it out with my midwife and I was very fortunate to have continuity of midwifery care. Um, So this process worked particularly well, but I wanted to fine tune it so that if you didn't have continuity of care, you as the the birthing um, couple retained the power to be able to move from care provider to care provider and stay in control of the information you were getting and making sure you were filling your own knowledge gaps. That seemed to me to be the big gap in maternity care. We were constantly being told what we needed to know and when rather than having advanced knowledge and being able to decide this is actually important to me. I want to spend some more time discussing this aspect of birth. Mm-hmm. So as I as I was um, playing with the idea of my birth plan that I had, this amazing birth plan that I'd invented, I thought, ah, oh, there's a problem here. Every time I try and talk about it, the walls go up because plan is a problem. And so I started mind mapping it. I was drawing my concept down and I went, oh, that looks like a map. It's a map. Oh my gosh, I've just invented the birth map. Oh my God. And I, and I Googled to make sure I'd actually invented it. This had come from my head and I couldn't find anything talking about birth preparation in this way Mm -hmm. and so I thought right I'm testing this out so with my midwife I said I'd like to start talking about my birth map and she's like oh 
what's a birth map? And I, so I said, it's about pathways. I just need to understand what the different pathways are going to look like. I, I anticipate having a natural birth. That's what I'd like to do. But it's actually important to me for my partner to understand what each of the different pathways look like and for me to understand and be able to communicate where I can on those pathways what will happen. So I know there'll be decision points or places where I'm asked for consent and I'd like to know in advance the information so that when that time comes, I'm actually providing informed um, consent or indeed informed refusal. And so then I got stuck on the, the term consent and decided I'm not going to refer to consent. It's informed decisions. Mm. And, and around the time that I started to develop this, there was a lot of talk about the problem with the word plan. So you were hearing a lot of uh, call them wishes or preferences. Um, let's water it down a little bit, make it nice and flexible so that we're not setting women up for disappointment. Mm. But that Oh, that sent up some red flags for me because it just seemed to be minimising a woman's power or the, the person's ability to have confidence in what they were doing. But no, that's not right either. This is about decision-making. And around that time, I also trained as a death doula um, or a death walker. I did my training with um, Zenith Virago and so she refers to death walking. And the parallels between dying and birthing, both are over-medicalised, both are very much um, uh, institutionalised and the personality is taken out of it. And with uh, death, we actually have a, an advanced care directive. So if you um, do have an illness or you're reaching, you know, elderly life. And so it's kind of hard to avoid the conversation anymore. You can have an advanced care directive and that involves a series of if this, then that. This is what's important to me so that when I can't uh, communicate for myself, the people around me know what matters and they can create the atmosphere to make me more comfortable or they can advocate for me on particular decisions that are important to me. So I thought, why not for birth? Advanced care decision-making, if this, then that. And I found that it helped uh, prepare for birth in a way where it was a little bit more realistic mm -hmm. so that you weren't saying, I'm going to have a natural birth, full stop, and then anything other than that is a failed plan. Mm -hmm. It's about your birth your way no matter what and because we've the research tells us that when we feel respected and heard it it's not the outcome or the the way the birth has played out uh in terms of interventions but how we felt through that process and so right okay i think i'm onto something here and i i shared my concept with an academic um researcher and she said catherine there's a there's a PhD in this. Mm -hmm. And I went, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do that in my spare time. And uh, so I found some spare time and I have just started that PhD to, um, to test this in a, in a larger scale um, way. So the, the details are being worked out as we speak and it's just so incredibly exciting to see the anecdotal feedback um, 
being able to be taken into that academic arena where where I have the potential to to forge real change within the system. And the way I see it is that I'm bridging a gap and bringing the communication in, into that into that space. So it's very exciting stuff. Oh, it is. It is so super exciting. And, and it's probably one, one of our biggest things. And as we were talking about before we started this, you know, it's something as a Cumberth educator, but also as a midwife, I'm incredibly passionate about is, is helping to women to make informed decisions and to give them their power back to make them realize that they're in the driver's seat of their own experience. And in order to be able to drive confidently through it, they need to have the knowledge about all the all the different twists and turns that they're going to go through on that journey. So it's um, this is a really fabulous idea and fabulous concept. And I think will really help not just women, but also their partners navigate the choices and decision-making that they are going to make on, on their own personal journey. And one of the other things I love about it is that it, it can be so individualized to each woman, because as we know that every woman's journey is different. In fact, every journey that they have with each of their children is different. Like birth is such a unique thing to to each individual woman and individual child um, that it'll be a different map for every journey that they're on. And so that's why I'm really, really loving it. So tell me, what what is a birth map then? What what is your concept? Do you want to explain it to us? So the 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 nuts and bolts of the concept is that it's about knowing what questions to ask in advance so that you can create your landscape so first of all you need to know where you're going to give birth what's what is the actual landscape it's going to be different from birthing in your own home to birthing in a birth center or a uh, hospital ward or in a, an operating theatre uh, and even within each of those locations is there a continuity of care who's your primary care provider what personalities are you going to come across and within within that you add more and more layers about what your birth philosophy is and if you're trying to achieve a natural birth with a private obstetrician who's got the highest cesarean rate in the country you want to know that early on so you can say, oh, actually, maybe this private obstetrician's not my best alignment. Likewise, you might be saying, I like the idea of a home birth with a midwife, but the more you explore that, you think, actually, I'm not comfortable there. The birth centre might be my best place. Where do I feel most safe? and who makes me feel most safe in that journey. And that sets the scene, the landscape that you're going to move through. And the questions that you ask uh, of those people, the answers will be different. A, a home birth midwife will give you a, a different context to a, an obstetrician or an, a continuity of care midwife compared to the uh, fra more fragmented care that you might get in the standard care model. There's actually 11 different models in Australia. So depending on where you are, what your choices available are, are going to be different. So unfortunately for many women, they might not actually have the full landscape to choose from. They might not be able to say, I want the birth centre. You've missed out. You didn't call soon enough. The birth centre is not an option. So it becomes even more critical to understand the landscape 
And when your philosophy doesn't quite match that landscape, how can I navigate that to ensure that I'm true to myself, but have that realistic understanding of how that journey will take place? Will there be time limits? Will there be restrictions on, uh, on how I can move in that landscape? Who can come with me into that landscape? These details all add up to, to paint a really realistic picture so that you're not moving into that ex that space except expecting uh, something perhaps that cannot be provided in that space. And that's just as frustrating for your care providers as it is for you because they, they want you to have the best experience. They do want what's best for you, but they can't always provide it if they haven't heard your story. So the having the questions to ask helps you to create that realistic expectation for the decision points. So one of the uh, examples that helps to create a pathway is that women who've experienced birth trauma will tell us that I wish I'd known what that decision point was going to lead to. So a lot of the times when you're asking these questions, you'll only be told the information that is specific to that point in time. But what's really helpful to understand is what happens down the track from that decision point. So the, the best example for that is your epidural. That's um, a procedure that is painted as very um, low risk. It's very standard. Uh, you know, you've got nothing to prove, just get your epidural and um, as a society, the epidural has um, been downplayed a lot. So it, the first time women hear the risks of the epidural is often in that moment when they desperately want it. They've reached that decision point in their labour and they've decided to go down that, that pathway. They're, they just want the benefits of that epidural. So in that moment, the anaesthetist is telling them the risks. Whatever, I don't care. I want it, I want it, give it to me now. That's not an informed decision. And those risks that you're being told are only for that moment in time. And so a lot of women who have gone down that path and then discovered that the epidural meant that they were um, delivering on their back and that they weren't, they weren't pushing as effectively as they, they might otherwise have. And so then an assisted delivery takes place and that assisted delivery involves um, a third or fourth degree tear and then down the track from the birth, they're dealing with physical trauma as well as emotional trauma. And a lot of them will say, if I'd been told that an epidural could have led to an assisted delivery, I may have made a different decision, but it's not in that moment that they would have been needed to be told that they wanted to know while they were pregnant. Mm. The, the point where I needed that information was before I was in labor. And so understanding the risks and the benefits of that epidural and the pathway that follows and how my decisions might be affected and what impacts that might have, what time limits might come on that. Once they've got a full understanding of that pathway, they can better prepare how they're going to navigate through that landscape. And so Michelle O'Dent um, offers an alternative pathway at that point. I, I should say it the French way, Michelle O'Dent. It's just, I don't, uh, I, 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 don't I, I, I love him so much. And I, and I always say his name, I always say his name wrong, but um, he offers an alternative pathway at that point and suggests that 
perhaps instead of taking an epidural and an augmented pathway that may result in assisted delivery, maybe a woman would like the option of an, a non-emergency caesarean at that point or the option of continuing to do nothing. So there's three different pathways at that decision point and the context that you are feeling in that moment will determine which one you want to go down. They are all valid, they are all options, and they are all up to that individual to determine what makes them feel safest and which outcomes and risks they're prepared to take or not take. And in a medicalised um, birth environment, these are very real decision points that you may find yourself facing and understanding them in advance uh, will reduce that uh, sense of anxiety that comes, particularly if you were trying to avoid that decision point. And what I've been uh, seeing with partners is that this process helps move them from being a protector and becoming a supporter. Mm -hmm. When they're a protector, they're in... Uh, primitive mode they are afraid of everything they do not understand what's going on their adrenaline is you know just leaching into the room in massive amounts everybody's feeling tense he the, the partner you know it's kind of like a caveman pacing outside of the cave waiting for the saber-toothed tiger on high alert all the time but this process helps them to understand who they're going to meet in that space. What's the language going to sound like? When, when are we at a decision point? And what's my if this and then my then that? And um, to use a, a stereotype, men will often read a map, but they won't ask for directions. So this gives them something really solid to look at, but it's also based on their own knowledge and understanding. They've been a part of creating that map, so they have a really solid understanding of why a decision is being made in the way it's being made. They know what's important to their partner. And so they shift from being the protector and they become the supporter. Mm. And in, in being the supporter, they're open to the oxytocin. They're open to understanding that everybody in this room is here to help. Everybody's here with a, a common goal to, to make sure that this new person arrives safely and everybody is excited in that anticipation, not fearful in that anticipation. And they're on that same page, quite literally, they're on the same map. And these conversations happen with the care provider in advance during pregnancy so that if there are any tricky points, that come up such as oh no hospital procedure says this has to happen this way you, you have to have a vaginal exam on arrival for example I, actually no I don't I have a right to refuse that and these are the reasons why I don't want it or if I want one I'll ask for it myself I don't need to be offered I know it's available so that can be something that's documented in, in advance and you can um, make sure that you're negotiating any tricky points where hospital policy goes against your birth philosophy and keeping in mind that a hospital policy is not a law it's not a rule you still have to provide informed consent and if you don't want to consent it's if you're confident in your no 
you're more likely to have a respected no because the care provider needs to feel confident that you do actually understand what you're saying no to. So this, this conversation happening gives them the confidence that they are ticking that informed consent or refusal box uh, really well. And I've found that when women and their partners go in there with that sense of confidence, those uh, conversations just become... Uh, become more respectful because the care provider can see these people know what they're, they're talking about. And oftentimes it's because they've done something like calm birth and they know their information. They've aligned their knowledge. They know what to expect and they've got really realistic expectations and that confidence to express themselves. And when that happens, you can navigate through that landscape uh, with so much, uh, the confidence but the less uh less chance of trauma and so if you do hit, hit hit a decision point where you know actually we do need to shift from our ideal pathway we are going to go into a into an intervention pathway or we've reached a point where uh this is now our uh, preferred pathway it's still your terms you've made that choice for that detour and you've understood why you've made that choice so when we come out the other side we can look back on our birth and say I did it my way <laughs> very good and and it's so true it's the birth the birth suite or the birth the birth place is not the time to be taking on information. It's a time to have gathered all the information that you can so that when those, as you call them, decision points come up in that space, you already know which way you want to go. And, and by having that birth map and that birth idea that you are discussing and talking about with your partners and with your caregivers, everyone is on the same page. They know what your wishes are. They know what your thoughts are, what your expectations are, um, what your belief systems also are as well. And everyone remains on the same page so that that care and the way things are presented to you is in, in a way that is respectful to you as well. It makes it much easier to do that. And I love what you say about the partners because here at Cumberth, we're, we're huge on partners partners and preparing them to be as you say supporters in that space I call them the silverbacks of the room they're they're very much the the ones that hold the space for women and and not only are they a support they're also an advocate for that woman as well so them ha being able to follow and navigate through that map as well is, is really important because then they know how to advocate really well for their partners because they've got that knowledge there too. I was also really interested at how this the birth map that you talk about is really starting at, right at the beginning of the pregnancy and really in fact I would almost go so far as to say that that couples really need to be starting to look into this it, when they're thinking of falling pregnant so that they do have an idea of of which direction they want to head that that aligns with their belief systems around birth and and to be able to birth in a way that helps them to feel what I call safe calm and private and respected so and that's the that's the essential recipe for a positive birth experience is women feeling safe and calm and respected in that space and and that's going to be different for every woman and every couple so doing that research ahead of time is just as important as as continuing to to 
to get gather that information um, through the pregnancy as well for for that birth. So really, this birth map starts right at the very very beginning of all of it, and then just kind of compounds as as things and ideas come up. Um, That's right. Adding adding in the layers as you go. Adding in the layers, and I've got here, and I love this little thing that you've got written when you start to go into to really what the birth map is all about. And you say here, birth mapping assumes nothing and prepares for everything. And I think that is fantastic because really, um, I think that idea of a plan for birth is what you we were saying we were talking about before i you know this idea of mapping just resonates with me because we always talk about birth plans and intentions need to be plasticine they need to be able to be molded however that that birth unfolds you've got three pathways that you get couples to um consider what are those three different pathways can you explain each of those so the, the, I've broken it down into three main pathways. The first one is the fast birth pathway. And this doesn't become part of the documented birth map that you would show your care provider. This is a pathway that you're creating for yourself and your partner. And this is the what if this birth is happening before you can get to your destination. Or if you've got a home birth planned, what if this birth is happening before the midwife can get here. So it's basically the unassisted birth pathway. And this came about because as a rural um, mother, the birth before arrival is a very, very um, high in the mind uh, uh, risk um, that women have to take into consideration. A lot of women will... uh, perhaps have an induction because they want to avoid birth or labor on the road that might end in birth on the road. And we hear at least uh, two stories a year of someone who didn't quite make it. Maybe the ambulance is the hero. Maybe the dad's the hero. Every so often the mother gets a mention on the front page. Um, but <laughs> it's a, the, these, the birth before arrival is a very real um, risk now that um, maternity services are so centralised. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of women, they are travelling at least an hour to get to a, um, a, a place to give birth. Um, or because midwives have been um, limited so much, there's very few uh, home birth midwives available. So they often have large distances to cover before they get to you as well. So having a plan in place for the what if it's just you. What if this baby's coming and uh, you need to just get on with it? Understanding normal birth physiology, understanding what to do with the cord. You don't need a shoelace. You don't need to chew it off like a, you know, (laughs) you don't have to do anything with the cord. There's some very simple things we can understand to make that a very relaxing, non-scary, just get on with it approach you know who you can call and you might even know that maybe if everything is going well we just stay home for a bit get settled and then travel if we need to or the midwife um, arrives soon after knowing what to do with the placenta so the fast birth pathway is about understanding normal birth physiology and what i've found is that that pathway preparation which is 
very, very rarely anyone's primary pathway. Um, you'd only have that as your primary pathway if you knew you had a history of fast birth. Um, for example, that's that was my primary pathway mm -hmm. because um, I, I knew that was going to be likely. So I actually tested the preparation for that pathway out with my own midwife um, because my um, birth centre location was an hour and a half away, but my previous birth had been four hours. And I said, oh, I just, I'm not feeling confident and I don't really want to travel if labour starts as full on as it did last time. So what if that happens again? What can I do? And so she gave me the information that I needed she gave me the reassurance that I needed to be able to have that pathway um, ready to go. And it was a good thing she did because birth number three was 20 minutes of utter bliss and <laughs> a silent first stage to just going, oh, I didn't need to do a poo after all. That's actually a baby. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like um, I, if everyone could have the third birth, like, the world would be a very, very gentle and happy place. <laughs> but but that, that particular um, birth preparation, uh, partly because I was so reassured and relaxed, that birth played out in a very calm way because both myself and my partner knew what to do and that it was okay. The midwife was on the end of the line for us. We were, we were supported, we were confident and everything was fine. And so that fast birth pathway is just about understanding normal physiology. And when we do that, it carries over into the other two pathways, which is the expected birth pathway and then your contingency. And that's going to look different depending on whether your expected pathway is to have a natural birth or whether it's to have a, um, a planned caesarean. So your, um, your fast birth might look very, your fast birth pathway might look very different if you've got a planned caesarean because the reasons behind that caesarean are going to impact the choices. So you can't just say, this pathway is going to look like this, done. This pathway is going to look like this, done. The pathways need to be filled in with your context and your knowledge. So it will look very different, but the the bones of that pathway is that for the expected pathway, you're looking at what your current circumstances are, what are the uh, the uh, physiological things that are happening in your pregnancy. Do you expect to have a normal physiological birth? Um, what's it, what's your pain threshold? So the the Penny Simpkin pain management um, oh, PM. P.S. Oh, she's got this really awesome tool. I've got it on my website and you rate your pain threshold and it tells you um, some, some tips based on your pain threshold. So if you're saying, no, line me up for the epidural, then you can work out what your expected pathway might look like based on um, what your personal um, management preferences are at the other end of the scale it's I'll perform my own c-section thank you I can do this um, so that's not a very realistic um, level likewise the at the other end of the scale is the um, complete and utter avoidance of of birth so when you've got serious fears involved this scale allows you to say right what's my starting point let's get to a more sensible point and build a realistic expected pathway and 
um, and so through that process, the um, the expected pathway starts filling in the, uh, the who's going to be there, um, the what's what's most important to you, and uh, the the main uh, decision points that you might come across for that particular pathway, and then your contingency is going to be the the not the not on that list thing. So if you're expecting a natural birth, most people will have a contingency for a cesarean birth, but it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Within each of those pathways, there are actually several options, such as um, mentioning having a, a cesarean that's a non-emergency or waiting for it to be an emergency cesarean, whether or not you do choose an epidural and an assisted birth. There are quite a lot of um, options within that um, uh, intervention model that one one decision will either close off or open up other decisions and so understanding how one decision leads to the next decision helps you map out that particular pathway and so when you're putting together the map for your care provider you'll have your expected pathway perhaps uh, on one page and the contingency on a different page and not, not the reverse side. It might be a completely different piece of paper so that you don't even have to look at it at all unless you reach that decision point and say, actually, we're, we're, changing, um, we're changing tracks. This, we're, we're now bringing in this, this, uh, this decision um, map now. And uh, the, the idea is to just have the decisions jotted down so it might be a handful of bullet points. All this work that we do, all this preparation comes down to a handful of bullet points that just serve as a reminder because the discussion has happened. Your partner is all over it. Your care provider is all over it. So they just act as some prompts. And if this, then that prompts along the way. You might not even have to look at the written document. And a lot of people will have it just in their head, but it is um, recommended to to document it because it does act like a legal um, document. It's a um, a written piece of paper where you can show that you've had that discussion with the care provider, your partner understands it, and you've all um, agreed on those decision points. So like an advanced care directive, it, it can have legal weight. But if the... The difference between the birth map and say a birth plan template is that often the birth plan template is just a series of tick boxes. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't necessarily have the same conviction behind it or the same discussion behind it. So it can be very easy for a care provider to say, we never discussed this. So in the same way that informed consent, um, the care provider needs to inform you the birth map allows you to inform the care provider. So it's, a, it's building that bridge of communication to ensure that you have your bases covered, but they're also feeling confident that they've got theirs covered. And unfortunately, that's the, um, that's the medical system that we have, have to work with. And it is insurance driven. And so we can't, uh, we can't walk into that space and pretend that it's not an insurance-driven um, system. Uh, and ideally, you do have the option of a home birth if you don't want to enter that space. But unfortunately for um, midwifery care um, in the home, they are still beholden to a lot of the insurance-driven models. So having a good, solid understanding of that landscape and how your, um, your own pathway will 
will meander through that and hopefully it will be a beautiful um, gentle journey but if you do hit some rough patches you can go right hold on tight we've got this we know what's going on and so the uh, it's about reducing the trauma when you do hit a stress point um, if you hit a stress point in your pregnancy or your labor yeah. It's also um, one of the, the important aspects of those pathways is that they don't actually end with the moment of the baby's birth. So within each of those pathways, we break it down into the stages. So you're looking at it in, um, it just keeps breaking it down to bite-sized pieces at a time so that you don't have to look at the whole thing in one go. You can read a couple of pages of the book and say, what, which section am I going to concentrate on today? Where are my knowledge gaps and, and what's important for first stage or third stage? What is even meant by first stage and second stage? And uh, what's the difference between a, an emergency cesarean and an, un, un, an non-emergency cesarean? And so the, um, that, the second section of the book breaks down each of those pathways into a series of questions that you might consider for each element of the birth. And what I've found is a lot of women will say to me, it was those tiny details that ended up being, being the, the sticking point that in the moment you go, oh, I'm really glad I knew to ask that question because if I had have met, even though it was a small thing to ask, the impact of it was quite big. Something as simple as knowing that you weren't allowed to bring um, uh, aromatherapy into that space. Um, it might assume nothing ask everything so that there's no surprises when you when you get there and the the little details that uh, also include how you might not document it it's not necessary for your care provider but little things like what are you going to do with your older child on each of those pathways so in the fast birth pathway okay you you know are you dealing with, is it, is it just you and your toddler? How, how might that play out? And if you can get a visual in your mind about what that looks like and paint a really positive picture, you stay cool, calm and collected. Chances are your toddler's just going to look at you curiously and go, wow, mum, what's going on? Oh, mum, you just uh, laid a human. Oh, my gosh, <laughs> that's really cool. Um, and if you're calm, chances are your child's going to be calm as well. Yeah. So... Um, understanding some some simple little details that actually can have a big impact uh, as you build up those different layers along each of the pathways and you might make a different decision for each pathway the same context is there but when you change that one little detail it's like oh actually that actually changes things quite large for me because it's really important to me that um, I avoid a C-section as much as possible because I do have three other children under seven at home and staying in hospital for seven days would, would absolutely be uh, a decision I'd, I'd want to avoid. Whereas another mum might be, might be thinking, actually, I'm really cool with that. I can manage that. I've got a good support system in place. And you can have a, a different support system set up for each of those pathways. So you might have uh, a, a few friends that are on standby. If I do end up um, needing extra support, um, 
and only if then, then you're on standby. But they don't, you don't need to have a crowd of people waiting for everything. You can know if this happens, then we're going to call that person. And that can actually be really useful if you've got um, a relative, perhaps it's your mother-in-law, for example, who is saying, yes, you need me at your birth. I shall be there. You ring me and I'll be there. It can open up a pathway to say, wow, I'm really, really honoured that you would like to come and support us in this really important occasion. We will call you if we need you and this is what, what that need might look like. Uh, but if everything's going fine, what we need for you to do is ensure that when we get home, because we'll be um, leaving the hospital within 24 hours, we'd love it if you had a hot meal ready for us when we got home or if you had, had uh, clean, cleaned up the bathroom um, because, you know, it got a bit messy in the, uh, during, during the time before we transferred to hospital. You can give them a job that makes them feel involved but that's on your terms because maybe you don't want them in your birth space, but they can provide support in some other way. And so it doesn't need to be an unloving or difficult conversation. It can, can really come from a place of, oh, that's wonderful that you want to help me. This is how you can best do that. Um, because oftentimes uh, those offers of help uh, can make us feel more anxious because we're worried about hurting someone's feelings. So a lot of the questions in the book also help to navigate uh, getting those little details organised because they can have a really big impact on how your uh, anxiety levels, levels might be. And the circumstances are different for every single family. Absolutely, they are. You, you've got couples that are very private and really just want it to be them. And then you, you have other women and other cultures where it's, where it's, there's, it's about having been surrounded by their support as well. And it's also, I think, a really important thing for women to be considering anyway is what is their support in that postnatal period once the, they have the baby. And, and this is the thing with your birth map. It doesn't just cover up to that, to that birth. It actually goes on into that postnatal period. And, and that's something that needs to be planned for in the pregnancy as well is who, who's your support team in that time. And they're the people that can turn up and you can still be in your pajamas and they can be washing everywhere and there can be dishes in the sink and you know and you're in bed tucked up with baby and they don't care they just quietly come in and they put the vacuum through for you they bring you those meals that you need and they nourish and protect you as well and that that's just as bigger component of of planning and preparing for this time as knowing what an epidural is and knowing you know your different place of birth as well it's about getting that that village set up around you to support you and your partner as well which I think is great and again as you were saying that's the other wonderful thing about the book is that you do you actually go through and give them guides um, and, and plant seeds for them of all the things that they need to consider. So it's not like they have to go away and think, oh, my God, I need to do a birth map, but I don't know what to think about. What things do I need to know about? It's all written in your book and it's, and it's non-biased and it's not giving any sway one way or another. It's just saying this is what you need to consider. These are the questions that you need to ask. And then they can go away and get their own opinion about it too. Um, one of the things that I do love that you came up 
first of all, when you start to, to get them thinking about the questions that they need to do was um, their belief systems and really thinking about what their belief systems are. And, and at Calm Birth, that's one of our, our biggest things that we are about is, is getting couples to really examine what their belief systems are around birth, about what, what they were historically, what they've been brought up to think and feel and, and what they're wanting to, to get out of this experience and do those belief systems match and marry up? Like, is that belief going to help them achieve the birth that they're after? And then helping them then to navigate the information that they need to be able to, to really um, consolidate and reframe those belief systems so that they will help them achieve that birth experience that they're actually after. And so I love that that's one of the very first things that you get them to, to think about and consider is what are they thinking and feeling and believing about birth and what do they need to, to get, what information do they need to get, and knowledge do they need to get to tweak that a little bit to reinforce some of the more positive stuff um, around that. And that, and that I think is, is really, really fantastic. Um, so I guess one of the big things that were, that you've been talking a lot about here is really informed consent, isn't it? And really making sure that, that couples understand exactly what is, what their choices are. And that's the, again, a magic word in birth is choice. And that is, again one of the biggest elements to a positive birth experience is that feeling of choice um, and being listened to so it's about understanding what they have with choice and to to be able to make informed decisions around that what are the elements that inf affect that informed consent do you think what were things i know there were a couple of things that you listed in here you said that informed decisions are made up of three parts what are those three parts that you talk about so the, um, the first part is our previous experiences, our previous understanding. So this, is, this could be that you have never given birth before, none of your friends have given birth before, and you've been devouring one born every minute. That's your entire understanding of, of birth, one born every minute. It might be that you've been desperately wanting to be a mother for for five years and you've devoured every single book written on the subject. You know who, you know who Rhea Dempsey is, you know, Michelle Oden, you know all of them and you, you can't wait to sign up to Calm Birth and you've got it all, all set. That's your, your starting point. What's influencing your decision is going to be what becomes important to you. What's your fears mm -hmm. and what's, and what's shaping uh, what really matters to you. And that could also be a cultural thing. Perhaps you've come from a culture where your mother um, had good births and talked positively, or perhaps she talked negatively. Perhaps uh, you're being fed uh, an understanding that birth is dangerous and mm. must be medicalized, or perhaps you, you have an understanding of birth is natural. So very, very broad beginning space there, which is going to very much influence whether or not you think an intervention is necessary or not. Then during your pregnancy, you'll have new information. This is something that whether you want it or not, the fact that you look pregnant somehow means people have a right to tell you stuff. You will become aware of things you didn't even want to become aware of as people share their stories with you. And that's going to depend on who you're involved with, which Facebook groups you join. 
uh, what's the what else is feeding into that pregnancy as you um, experience that pregnancy this will also be influenced by the various tests that happen throughout that pregnancy once you're on the conveyor belt of of a medicalized pregnancy they'll be handing you one form after another for for different tests these are considered routine but you actually do have to consent to them but if you don't consent to them how is that going to impact your ability to stay within that particular um, care model. Uh, sometimes choice um, is a matter of uh, do it or you don't get uh, to stay in this um, care facility. So unfortunately, uh, whilst that's not technically consent, that is the, the way the game often plays out so you need to be able to understand how important it is 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 this consent point to me and do do I need to change care providers so that new information may cause you to decide this is not the right care provider for me and you want to know that earlier so if if you are the mother who's been preparing for five years for this birth you will know from the very beginning who your best care provider is going to be. And you've probably got them on speed dial already. So is speed dial still a thing? I don't know. But yeah, you've got them like <laughs> <laughs> You've got them in your favourites and you're you're ready to go from day one. But uh, for other women, they might they might be twelve or, or more weeks pregnant before they actually discover that the, the, the option that's been presented to them is actually one of eleven different models. So depending on where you where you're at the new information is going to influence how that plays out mm -hmm. and then all of that sits within your own circumstances mm -hmm. this might be your financial circumstances your religious beliefs your working life uh, who your friends are what support network is is underpinning you whether you have a dog whether you have other children you know whether you live uh, five minutes from the hospital or, or four hours from the hospital this uh, set of circumstances will influence how you make your decisions. So there is no one way because those three things are so full of different elements that you, you, can't, you can't write a book that says, here's how you make an informed decision and this is what, a what, what the decision looks like. You kind of got to understand um, yourself and yeah. who you are. And, how, and then feel confident in expressing yourself in that decision. And if your decisions are limited by circumstances, so for example, you don't have all 11 models to choose from, you've got, you've got the hospital birth or the private hospital. There isn't a birth centre in your area, there isn't a home birth option in your area, or for some reason you're not eligible for the public funded home birth, um, once you've been yeah, narrowed down to you can have this or you can have this, uh, it's it's a, the illusion of choice for many women. And so you have to make decisions based on what limitations have been placed on you. And uh, unfortunately, that's the state of play at the moment. We are... Uh, trying to change, trying that, to change that absolutely but it's also about women understanding that they even within those limitations they still have choice no one Huge can amounts. no one can do anything to anyone without, without that person's consent and that's a really really important thing for women to remember and the other big thing is that any consent that's obtained out of fear is not consent 
So it's, it's really important to be fully informed and not feel as if you have been railroaded into a decision, but really being made sure that you are, have been presented all the information in a non-biased way and then your decision after that has been respected and heard. But it, you need to come to that from an informed place as well. Like, you know, going in and saying, I don't want that, but, but not really understanding why you don't want that is exactly. it's still not an informed decision. You've got to understand, you've got to be able to say, I don't want this because of this, 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 and this reason and be able to give a, a logical reason just as, yeah. as perhaps the caregivers need to give a logical reason of why they're offering you something exactly. to, and it, oh, I shouldn't say logical, yeah. I really should say evidence-based because that's, that's yeah. a big thing. There's, there needs to be good evidence as to why that is, is there. So, um, one of the um, one of the powerful things that I found about birth mapping compared to birth planning is that it actually gives women um, agency, that sense of power and influence. Um, whereas the birth plan has been around for forty years, and its intention was to increase agency, but because the birth plan is often made in isolation from the care provider, they then enter that system and their power shrinks down because there's no respect for, for the decision process they've gone through and it doesn't match. They aren't speaking the, la the same language. So the, the power in the birth map is that it retains that power dynamic for both parties. Mm -hmm. So the professional doesn't feel like their professional autonomy is somehow threatened. So there's, there's no threat to the care provider. It's all about communication and no one has to lose power in order for women to gain power. And that's, that seems to be uh, where there's a misunderstanding within the system that somehow someone's got to give something up for a woman to move into that space in a powerful way. No one has to lose power. Everybody can gain. So the birth map is something that I'm calling a win, win, win scenario. There's a win for the women. There's a win for the care providers, but there's also a win for the partner. And they're all brought together in this wonderful communicative way where they learn to speak each other's language, they learn to see each other as friend, not foe, and then the oxytocin just flows through and everybody's cheering at the end of it. So a win-win-win approach. That's right. And, it, and really what it's about, it's a partnership in care, isn't it? It's a partnership. It it's not, it shouldn't, there shouldn't be that talk of power at all in this space it's it's about support and partnership and that's really the relationship that you want to have with with your care provider and and i think it's just so important and having that communication tool there that's that's the essence in all of that um, and, and with that comes that knowledge. And as, as Pete says, who, who founded Cumberth, he says, knowledge is the precursor to any experience. And I would have to agree with him. And this really maps it out for them, excuse the pun, to really <laughs> allow them to, to, um, to gain the knowledge that they know. Um, because you don't know what you don't know until you discover you don't know it. And sometimes, and you don't want yeah. to be too late. You want, you want to have, have all your ducks lined up before you get into into that space and 
there's so many other things in, in our life that we do really plan. And I'm not sure why, why it is in our culture that birth doesn't seem to be one of them, but it's probably a time where there's a lot of considerations and not just for birth, but also for planning after birth as well. What's that going to look like um, for, for the couple as well as for your baby? What things do you need to consider? What tweaks do you need to make to your life to be able to accommodate the values that you want to create in that space? There's just so much, so much to be considering. So where pregnancy is preparing that baby to be born earthside into our world, pregnancy should also be a time for, for that, that couple to, to prepare for their birth as parents as well yeah. um, and, and to get ready for that. And that's, again, making those informed choices and decisions around it. So where can people get your, your amazing book from? Like where, where is it? It come... If you go to my website, which is bellabirth.org, you'll find out all about the birth map and how to order the book or the ebook and it gives you the links to where to go and um, I've, I've made my way onto Instagram and, and I, I, I'm a bit of a twit on Twitter as well so <laughs> or a tweeter I'm not sure tweet, that is. Tweet. you've got to tweet it away yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so the, my handle there is at birth mapping. So if anyone wanted to connect that way, they could um, do that as well. Oh, beautiful. Well, I highly and totally recommend this. And I, I think it's, it's a, I can't, you probably can't see that very well. It's a, it's a really fantastic and, and great book and a great way to really start making those informed choices around, around your experience in birth. Um, and so thank you very much, Catherine. I really appreciate you taking your time out of your day to talk to me. Um, and it's so wonderful to see um, see someone developing tools that, that couples can use to really help enhance and create their experiences for them. So, so thank you very much for joining me.